Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, for the message, Spiritual. All right, so as I already told you, the title of my message today is Spiritual, which has become a very difficult concept to define and describe in our culture today. And it's not that the term spiritual is unpopular. No, just the opposite. The term spiritual has become wildly popular in our culture today. Everybody kind of seems to identify themselves as spiritual people. And so nonetheless, it's still really hard to define and describe spirituality in our culture today. It's kind of like you know, trying to nail jello to the wall, trying to define spirituality in our culture today. It's really, really difficult. We're gonna start with the dictionary. Okay, we'll start really, really basic. The dictionary defines spirituality in a very simple, straightforward way. It is the quality of being concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. Okay, that's fair enough, that's not complicated at all. But even though the dictionary defines spirituality in a very simple and straightforward way, you need to know that our society has adopted a way more complex way in order to tell us who spiritual people are and tell us what spiritual people do. And so some equate being spiritual with engaging in meditation. Other people say it's about practicing yoga. Still others say it's all about getting out into nature, right, or getting involved in the arts. And still others say, no, it's all about contemplative reading or following the advice of psychics. And so the answers that we have to this one question, what does it mean to be spiritual, really in our culture, the answers are seemingly endless. And they're way out there too. Some people even include in their definition of spirituality, meditating with crystals in order to gain a higher state of consciousness. And so now while, while some of those things, like getting out into nature or getting involved in the arts, are great in and of themselves, even those things fall way short of what it means to be a spiritual person. So you have all these different definitions. Here's my question this morning. Who's right? <laughs> Who's right about their meaning um, of spirituality? And the answer in our relativistic culture is that everybody's right. And if you have the audacity to say that you and your definition of spirituality is uniquely correct, well, you're just way too dogmatic. And that leads us to this very popular concept known as relativism, all right? So you need to know what this term means because it's what the majority of, of people in America believe today. The world we live in, very different than the world um, that our parents grew up in. This is what's adopted in our state universities. This is what most people believe. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge and truth and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, look at this, and are not absolute. All right, so the idea behind relativism is that there is no absolute truth 
that transcends all cultures or applies to all people? No. The truth of the matter is, according to them, is that all truth is relative from culture to culture and from person to person. What does that mean? That means that if you, as a Christian, have the audacity to say, I believe Jesus is the only way to God, and you base that statement on the absolute truth of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. If you assert that in our culture today, the relativists will say, and I quote, you Christians are way too dogmatic. Have you ever heard this? Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. You you wanna hear the real truth this morning? Relativists who look at Christians as being too dogmatic should actually look in the mirror because they are just as dogmatic about what they believe in as we are about what we believe in. Their assertion that all truth is relative is actually a very dogmatic statement. And if you don't believe me, just try challenging them sometime about that statement. See the response that you get. And their assertion that all truth is relative is also a self-defeating statement. Now, if you're with me right now and you're thinking, I want you to say amen. Get this, because you gotta understand the culture, and and listen, God loves everybody. He wants us to reach our culture, so we gotta understand where they're coming from. Their statement, all truth is relative, is a self-defeating statement, because on one hand, they reject that truth is absolute, but on the other hand, they believe their truth absolutely. Ironically, they believe their statement, all truth is relative, does in fact transcend all cultures and apply to all people. And our question to them needs to be, well, how if all truth is relative? You see, their statement is self-defeating, therefore their belief system absolutely crumbles. My suggestion is this. If you want to define and describe the term spirituality, we shouldn't look to imperfect man, we should look to the perfect God for his definition. All right, so where do we find God's definition for the term spirituality? We find it exclusively in his word. Ladies and gentlemen, we should never make any apology for this Verse, I'm gonna quote to you right now, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing to his young pastor, protege, Timothy, said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration literally means to breathe out. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so as we today open our Bibles, and I hope you have a Bible open before you, either in book form or in phone form, but as we open our Bibles today and we go through, listen to this, the God-breathed text that we're looking at today, 
we're gonna see that the Apostle Peter will tell us all about what true spirituality is really about. And as he does that, we're gonna see that true spirituality includes at least three things. Number one, it includes a new birth. Number two, it includes a new family. And number three, it includes a new appetite. True spirituality, not as the culture defines it, but as God defines it in his word, means a spiritual birth, a spiritual family, and a spiritual appetite. Or said another way, this is what we're gonna do today as we go verse by verse. As Christians, number one, we have received a spiritual birth. Therefore, we're the children of God. As Christians, number two, we've inherited a spiritual family. Therefore, we should love one another. And number three, as Christians, we experience a spiritual appetite. Therefore, we should desire God's word. If you're new to Calvary and you see the verses on the right-hand side, what that shows is as we go verse by verse through a text, this is what we glean from the text. In other words, I'm not here every weekend to give you a motivational speech to make you feel good about yourself. I am here to open up the Bible and as the first century church, we need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Peter's an apostle and that's why we just lift principles out from his word. Does that make sense to you guys? So if right now you're looking at chapter one, verse 22, can you say amen again? All right, so here we go, please follow along. It's not so much about what I say, it's about what God says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verse 23, you know, how do you do that? since you have been born again. There's a spiritual birth, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. But guess what? (laughs) The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains for how long? Forever. That book you have open in your hand right now, the words you're reading, that's gonna last forever, and so will you if you've been born again. And he says, and this is the good news that was preached to you. All right, so if you're taking notes, number one, as Christians, we've received a spiritual birth, therefore we are the children of God. And we get that from verse 23, we just read it. He says, since you've been born again, born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so as you've probably heard me say now hundreds of times, true Christians, I'm not talking about religious people necessarily, but true Christians have been born twice. Our first birth was a natural birth that took place because of perishable seed, Our second birth was a spiritual birth that took place because of imperishable seed. All right, so where in the world did the perishable seed that resulted in our natural birth, where did that come from? 
It came from, it was passed down from the first man, Adam. All right, so what am I doing now? What I'm doing now is I'm rehearsing basics with you so that you and I can adopt a biblical worldview about life. See the world the way God sees it. And it says in Romans chapter five, verse 12, wherefore as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. Sin entered into God's perfect world. God is a good God, God's a perfect God. He created everything perfect, we're the ones who blew it. Wherefore as by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so Adam disobeyed the Lord, you know the story, he ate the forbidden fruit, And because of his sin, well, you tell me, the wages of sin is what? Death. And as soon as Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, immediately they died spiritually, cut off from the Lord. And they began to die physically. They began to age. And in that fallen condition, Adam passed his perishable seed to his entire progeny, and thus he plunged the entire human race into sin, corruption, and death. And what you need to know, and what I'm doing here now is I'm rehearsing the bad news because you can't get to the good news till you get to the bad news first. You can't get saved till you realize you're lost. And so as sons and daughters of Adam and all of us watching at home, sitting in this room, myself included, kids next door, everybody in the world, all of us are sons and daughters of Adam. We've been born with a sin nature and because of that sin nature, we choose to sin. Now you guys help me out. What is the wage for our sin? The wages of our sin is what? Death. That means that we are born spiritually cut off from God and in need of a savior. We are born spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and all of us are in the process of physically dying. We call that aging. And so I want everybody please look at verse 24. Please look at verse 24. It says for all flesh, all human flesh is like grass. All right, so look at your neighbor and say, your flesh is grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, your body's a flower. The grass withers and the flower falls. Please look at your neighbor and say, sorry. But now, everybody, whether you have a phone or or a book, can you hold up the word of God right now? Just hold it up and leave it up. I'm gonna read you the good news. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And so will you if you've been born again by the word of God. You're gonna live forever. Because our God is a really good God. Stacy and I went to a restaurant on Friday and we went early, we tried to beat the crowd. What we forgot is that at this time of year, did you guys notice there's this group of people from the great white north that have invaded Florida? <laughs> and man, we love our snowbirds, but here's what you need to know. It's really hard driving this time of year, and you're making us wait for a long time to get into the restaurants, but we love you anyway. 
Okay, so we were at a certain restaurant. We went early to try to beat the crowd, but all these snowbirds just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And I, you ever feel like you're just being squeezed, right? And so they were not practicing social distancing, by the way, in this restaurant. And even I, and that takes a lot, I got uncomfortable. I was like, waitress, can we go sit outside? And so we went and we sat outside to have our dinner. And I looked into the window and I saw all those people in this restaurant, right? And as I'm looking at all these people, I'm thinking about my text because I'm preaching this weekend. And I thought, man, that's a lot of withering grass. And that's a lot of <laughs> falling flowers in there, man. But then later I got convicted, you know why? Because my grass is withering and my flowers falling as well. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're honest with yourself, we can, we can deny this stuff, but if you're honest with yourself, you've got to admit that your grass is withering and your flower is falling as well. But the good news is, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, one day you and I are gonna turn in these mortal bodies and we're gonna receive an immortal body from the Lord. It's gonna be absolutely awesome. Somebody says, I don't like talking about getting old. Well listen, we're realists. And we're just talking about the ramifications of the fall. Did you guys know that the Apostle Paul was even more brutal in describing the results of the fall than even Peter? Look at what Paul said. Paul said, you were dead. Thanks, Paul. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all, all of us, no exceptions, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And were by nature children of what? Wrath. Wrath's coming. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, so you wanna be real? Who were we in our BC days? God, through Paul, Ephesians 2, says that you and I were spiritually dead people and we're following the world, we're following the flesh, we're following the devil. All right, so what was needed in order to make us spiritually alive? We're talking about being spiritual today. We're talking about not adopting the culture's definition, but adopting God's position, position on the matter. And so what does it take to make us spiritually alive? What does it take to make us spiritual people? Meditation? Yoga, getting out into nature, getting involved in the arts, contemplative reading, following the advice of psychics or mediums, meditating on crystals. No, all those things are erroneous. They're wrong, why? Because all those things are man's solution to the problem, and man can't solve this problem. There's only one person who can solve this problem, and that's why in the very next verse, Paul opens it up with these two words, but God. God is the only one who can solve our problem of being dead in our trespasses and sins. And until you come to that place in your life, you'll never be born again, you'll never receive true spiritual life, and you'll never understand what it means to be a spiritual person. But God, and if pride right now is welling up in your heart, you need to humble yourself so that you can be born again. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, look how good God is. He made us alive together with Christ. By your efforts, your works, because you're so awesome, is that what it says? No, your grass is withering and so is mine. Your flower is fading, so is mine. By grace, you have been saved. And he, Christ, has raised us up, or God has raised us up with Christ and seated us. Talk about being spiritual, look at this. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did God make us spiritual people? He made us spiritually alive with Christ by granting us a spiritual birth through his word. That's exactly what Peter said in verse 23. Please look at it again. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God jumped down to the very last sentence in the chapter. He says, and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. All right, and so whenever that time was when you responded to this good news and you received Christ as your savior and Lord, John the apostle says something very special happened. He says, but to all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become whose kids? God's kids, children of God. Look at this, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The question you gotta answer here today, the question you gotta answer if you're home right now and you're watching is this. Have you allowed the spirit of God to take the word of God in order to make you a child of God? Have you been born again by imperishable seed? Have you responded to this good news? Are you still trying to work your way to heaven? Are you still thinking that you're so awesome that God's gonna accept you? Or have you come to the cross and fallen on your face and realized that Jesus Christ is your only hope and you turn to him in repentance and faith and receive him as your savior and Lord? If you'll do that, he will make you a spiritual person. And what do spiritual people do? Well, the answer to that is in verse 22. Okay, we're gonna jump up one verse. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, here's what spiritual people do. Look at this. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another. If you're taking notes, as Christians, not only have we received a spiritual birth and become children of God, but number two, as Christians, we have inherited a spiritual family, therefore, we need to love one another. And so whenever that day was, that glorious day when you turned to Christ in repentance and faith and received him as your savior, not only did you become a child of God, you inherited a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. And so look around, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the family of God. And by the way, we're gonna hang out for a really long time together, forever and ever and ever. And so when you think about this, I wanna quote to you 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You ought to memorize this verse so you're understanding things from a biblical worldview, you're understanding your identity of, in Christ and, and what part um, you play in all of this. 
And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, um, it says this. It says that for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. Okay, what does that mean? He's not talking about water baptism, at least in that verse. What he is saying is that by one Holy Spirit, all of you as God's kids, if you've turned to Christ, all of you were baptized in the Greek that means immersed. You were immersed by the Spirit of God, put into the body of Christ, the universal family of God. I like to call it the Big C Church. And right now, in all places around the world, there are people who are calling on the name of the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, and no matter who they are, or what color skin they have, or how much money they have in the bank, or whether they're male or female, they, like you, are kids of God, and they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're part of this big C church, but everybody who's part of the universal church really needs to find and plug into a local church. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. And so we need, if we're part of the big C church, we need to find a little C church and we need to get involved in that little C church. And one of the things we do is that we gather together and we don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Now I totally understand in this climate of COVID, if someone is advanced in years or they're immunocompromised and they're watching right now from home, you need to know that you are just as much part of this local church as anybody who's sitting in this church right now. In fact, church family, can we welcome everybody who's watching because they're absolutely part of us. I get it, I totally get it. And you can come back when you feel comfortable um, to come back if you're advanced in age and immunocompromised, I completely get it. But I, what I want you guys to know who are watching from home is that you're still part of the church. And you can continue to be part of the church by watching, you can continue to be part of the church by opening your Bibles and engaging with the message, you can continue to be part of the church by joining a small group and if you're not comfortable joining a small group, we have online groups. You can continue to be part of the church by praying. You can continue to be part of the church by giving. And so everybody who's part of the big C church needs to be part of a little C church. And listen to this, we absolutely need to love one another. But sometimes that's hard because we're so different. The churches that Peter wrote to, I mean, we're talking about the entire area of modern day Turkey, all the Christian community 2,000 years ago. Don't you know that those people were vastly different? But they're Christians. And so all the people that Peter's writing to, they're Jews, they're Gentiles, they're slave, they're free, they're light-skinned, dark-skinned, they're rich and poor. And to that diverse church, Peter said in verse 22, quote, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so the church today is no different than a church 2,000 years ago. The church today is very diverse. When you look at our local church, our little C church, we are a very diverse community in regards to race, 
ethnicity, age, social status, political views, likes and dislikes, we're all so different, and that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have got to focus all the more in actually obeying verse 22. You and I have got to, because we're so different, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But don't you know it's easy to love people who are just like you? And so if you're here this morning, and you're a white man, and you're American, and you're a family guy, and politically you're what's known as a values voter, and you like sports, and you like to stay active, and you're rooting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl today, here's what I know. I know you and I are gonna hit it off really, really well. It's gonna be easy for you and I to love each other. Why? We're just like each other. But the true test of whether or not we're really truly loving people is can we hit it off with and can we love people who are different from us? And so I want you to take spiritual inventory. I want you to be honest with yourself because here's the thing. God sees my heart. He knows exactly where I'm coming from. And he sees your heart as well. So the question is, do you love everybody? And if you say, yes, I love everybody, my question is, are you just saying it or can you prove it? I want you to see what John, the Apostle John, says about all this. He says, dear, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us, what's that word? Show. <laughs> Show the truth by our actions. You see, anybody can say it. Love you, bro, right? Anybody can say it, the question is, do we show it? And so do that spiritual inventory, allow yourself to be challenged. Think of yourself as that athlete in the locker room and the coach is just trying to get you to become better. The question is, do you really love people who are of a different race or different ethnicity than you? Or are you just saying it? Are you willing to show it? In other words, are you willing to invite somebody who's of a different race or a different ethnicity over into your home, have dinner with them, hang out with them, and seek ways to bless them? Are you just saying it, or are you willing to show it? The question is, do you really love people who are of a different age than you are? Right? Anybody can say it, but, but are we really showing it? And so if you're here today and you've been married for a while and you've had a, a great marriage, nobody has a perfect marriage, but you've had a good solid marriage and let's say you've been married 20, 25 years, hey, are you willing to show your love for a different age group by inviting a young married couple into your home, having dinner, hanging out with them, spending time with them? Because here's what I know, they will glean more from your life stories and encouragement than they'll ever glean from a book. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. And I understand we have children's ministry, we have um, a student ministry, we have young adults, affinity, okay, that's great. But I say in addition to that, let's start as the older people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, can we start pouring into the younger people and raising them up because they are absolutely the next leaders of the church. Do you really love people 
who have a different political viewpoint than you do? You say, you're crossing the line now, Pastor. (laughs) No, here's what I know. That if we allow our political views to trump our love for one another, no pun intended, if we allow our political views to trump our love for one another, how in the world is the world gonna ever know that we're his disciples? John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if, it's a big if, you have love for one another. Not blasting each other on social media, but loving each other in spite of our differences. It's absolutely an embarrassment the way Christians have treated Christians in the last six months, not even talking about how Christians treat non-Christians in the last six months, but it's an absolute embarrassment the way Christians have treated Christians over politics in the last six months. And what we're forgetting is that as Christians, what we have in common far outweighs our differences. Look at what we have in common as a spiritual family. I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're Democrat, I don't care if you're independent or something else, if you're a born again Christian, you and I have the same Father in heaven who chose us before the foundation of the world. You and I have the same Savior who took on human flesh and bled out on a cross to pay for our sins and rose again. You and I have the same Holy Spirit living inside of our hearts. You and I have the same Bible, which is God's love letter from heaven and our instruction manual for life. You and I have believed the same gospel, a gospel of grace, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You and I have experienced the same second birth. We have a same new nature. We have, we're all part of the same big C church and most of us little C church and we're all on our way to a glorious home in heaven where we're gonna hang out with each other for a very, very long time. And so since we all have all of this in common, why don't we start reaching across the lines of race and ethnicity and age and social status and political views and likes and dislikes and why don't we just start obeying the word of God and loving each other? That's how people are gonna know we're his disciples. That's how they're gonna know. But as long as we keep up all this infighting and drawing lines and tit for tat, and back and forth. The world's gonna look and say, what a bunch of hypocrites. We have to obey the word. We gotta put our differences aside. We gotta love one another. And if you're here today, and at 630, you're gonna be rooting for the Chiefs, I want you to know, I love you. I love you. All right, chapter two, verse one, we're almost done, but stay with me all the way to the end, okay? He says, because there's no chapter breaks in the original letter, all this just flows together. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Just stop it, Christian, it's not worth it. Verse two, like newborn infants long, yearn, desire for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is 
good. All right, if you're taking notes, here's your last point. We've received a spiritual birth, we're God's kids. We've inherited a spiritual family, we gotta start loving each other. And we experience a spiritual appetite, therefore we should desire God's word. Now if you have the ESV, he says, as newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk that you may grow up, all right? But if you have other translations, a lot of other translations, it talks about the pure milk of the word. Okay, so if you're looking down right now at chapter two, verse two, and you see the pure milk of the word, can you raise your hand so I can see who you are? Yeah, and that's an absolutely correct translation. Why? Because the translators are just allowing the letter to flow in the context. He's just been talking about, in verse 23, the living and abiding word of God, and so of course, when he gets to chapter two, verse two, and he talks about the pure spiritual milk, he's talking about the pure spiritual milk of God's word. And so, like newborn infants, we need to long for, we need to yearn, we need to desire the pure spiritual milk of the word. Parents, have you ever noticed that little infants have an intense appetite? And have you ever noticed that they will let you know in no uncertain terms, loud and clear when that appetite kicks in? Right, and so what do, what do we do when the baby's crying? Mom and dad, we give the baby a bottle, right? And so if the baby's like, wah, 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 we give him the bottle, wah, wah, boom, right? My grandkids, they just suck it down like that. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what the Holy Spirit through Peter is talking about to us today. That's the kind of intense desire. Just like a baby wants her, his or her baba, you and I need to desire and yearn and long for God's milk, God's word. The question is, be honest with yourself. Don't play church. Be real. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. Do you have an intense desire for God's word. Now if you don't, then I have three questions as we wrap this up. If you're lacking a spiritual appetite, number one, have you been born again? Because here's what I know, if a kid is physically alive and healthy, that kid wants to eat. And so if you and I are spiritually alive, we're gonna have a spiritual desire for this book, it's just gonna be there. But if we've never been born again, then it's no wonder we don't wanna read the word. It's no wonder we don't wanna go to church. It's no wonder we don't wanna hear some preacher talking for 40 minutes. So have you been born again? If not, turn to Christ. And this time, do it genuinely in repentance. And faith, knowing that he's the only way, you can never work your way. He did all the work. Receive him as the Savior and the Lord of your life. And he will absolutely give you spiritual life, and then you'll have a spiritual appetite. If you don't have a spiritual appetite, number two, have you been filling up on junk food? Because what I know is if I'm driving home from work, and I pull into Publix, and I go in there and I buy two king-size Snicker bars, and I eat those things down and then hide the wrappers so my wife doesn't see them. 
You know, I'm not gonna be very hungry for that healthy meal that she's got prepared for me at the end of that day. And in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, if we are filling up on TV and Netflix and Facebook and video games, and the older generation's like, yeah, those kids, <laughs> video games all night long, hour after hour, we'll listen to the next one. If you're filling up on evening news shows, by the way, they're so unkind to each other. And we think that because somebody on a news network is unkind that we as Christians have the right to be unkind? Who's our master, CNN or Fox or the Lord Jesus Christ? It's time to grow up. But we're filling up, if we're filling up on TV, Netflix, Facebook, video games, news shows, sporting events, romance novels, right? It's no wonder we don't have an appetite for the word. Now, I didn't say any of those things were in and of themselves wrong. Well, romance novels, yeah, okay. But, yeah, so, but if you're filling up on all that stuff, it's no wonder your appetite for God's word is minimal. And then number three, are you exercising? I try, okay, so I try. A good week for me is I run three times and then I, I work out once a week. And when I'm consistent, it feels so good when I'm consistent, by the way, but when I'm consistent, here's what I know. I know that I have this really intense appetite. And so an increase in exercise, it causes an increase of appetite for me. I mean, if I'm working from home, I'm starving in the morning, I'm starving in the afternoon, I'm starving in the evening. It's like those salted mixed nuts in the cupboard are calling my name. Mike, Mike, we're over here. Do, do any of you guys like salted mixed nuts, right? And then as you're eating them, you, here's what's important. As you're eating all that salt, every once in a while, just get a chocolate-covered almond and put it in there and balance it out, right? And make sure it's dark chocolate because everybody knows dark chocolate's healthy. You can eat as much dark chocolate as you want. You know, it's, I'm just kidding about that. All right, but increased exercise, increased appetite. Decreased exercise, not so much appetite. What does that have to do with Christianity? Everything. Because here's what I know. If we're active in our faith, if we repent of our churchianity and start getting into true Christianity, if we get active in our faith, if we find a little C church, if we start serving somewhere in that church, we start sharing our faith as God opens doors with people, telling them about Jesus. As we're active, our appetite is gonna skyrocket for the word of God. But if all we do is come two, three times a month and sit in a row and we're playing churchianity, it's no wonder we don't wanna read the Bible. You say, well, what should we do? Well, I'm gonna close with this. How many of you guys have been to Discover Calvary? Please raise your hands if you've been to Discover Calvary before. Okay, so that's like 10% of you. And so we have a Discover Calvary class at the end of this month. I wanna encourage you to go. And in that class, what you're gonna learn is that if God is calling you to this local church, you gotta connect you got to grow and you need to invest. 
That means that you connect in lots of different things. I'm not gonna go through all these, but you connect in a weekend service, right? You connect in our Discover Calvary class. You make a commitment to a local church, and then you begin to grow. The first step of obedience after someone receives Christ as their savior and is saved, the first step of obedience is baptism. We baptized 11 people Thursday night. It was so awesome. Thank God for that. And so if you've never been baptized since you've received Christ, you need to be baptized and then engage in the message. Man, come, open your Bible, follow along, take notes, right? Get into a Calvary group, get into a Calvary class, start having personal devotions every single day with the Lord and then invest, serve somewhere. There's so many opportunities to serve in this local church. Get involved in sharing your faith with others and give of your tithes and give of your offerings if you're in the big C church, man, make that commitment to a little C church. Here's what I know, if you're with me, say amen. Here's my last statement. If you're with me, say amen. Here's my last statement. We got to repent of churchianity. And we gotta get into true Christianity.